0: They're here, everyone. They are the smart kids at the shops with their mothers or fathers, riding their bikes around the streets and playing down by the river, as well as talking to their friends on their smartphones. Join the smart kids each week as they discover, explore and solve the mysteries of today. Here's your host, J.T. Crowley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the smart
1: kids podcast show. The last podcast show, I took you to um, China and there we were talking to a lady called Donna and we was talking about her book. And I said, uh, kids, in that podcast show that I'm going to be talking in the next show to Simon Elson, and I am. He's a young author. He comes from Charlie down in the United Kingdom near London. And he's written a book called Hades Forest and he's chosen the genre dystopian. Why he's done that, well, we're going to find out very shortly. Um, but this is his first book, and he's a very young guy, and this is his ambition to become a, a writer and to um, and to be on the world stage and to have lots of books published and be out there. That's his dream. That's his passion. And when I look at the blurb about him, I can see that He has told me about his his passion for football. He's told me about his um, passion for his English literature. He loves his football. So he is a very young guy, uh, ladies and gentlemen, who is stepping out onto the world stage for the first time. So I'm going to bring him in to the show. Simon, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Simon, I said um, that you chose the genre dystopia. Why?
0: Dystopia has always been my favourite genre to read. And I'm a strong believer that if you enjoy doing something, then the work you produce is going to be better as a result. Um, And I've, I've always been fascinated by dystopia, even when I was a kid. And my favorite children's book, it wasn't a dystopia, but it was slightly darker. It was called um, A Series of Unfortunate Events, that very famous book series. And even that as a children's book was a bit darker, a bit more mysterious. And then as I grew up, I became fascinated by 1984 by George Orwell. And I read it over and over and over again. And it's been my favorite book now for longer than I can remember. And I think I've just always been attracted to the darker aspects of life. They're not as accessible. We don't see them. We more often hear about them than experience them ourselves. So I've always enjoyed kind of tapping into that and exploring it on my own. And, and so I love reading Dystopia, therefore I enjoyed writing it just as much. And I think it's interesting to write about aspects of the human condition and human life that perhaps aren't as easily accessible
1: day to day. You mentioned in your book, uh, you talk about mental health and of course mental health, Simon, is a big issue these days. Did that, uh, is there a particular reason for, you know, bringing mental health into your book? Well, it is something I'm very passionate about,
0: as I think a lot of people uh, of my age growing up now are. Um, So there there was that aspect to it. But also I wanted to put a spin on the dystopian genre that perhaps isn't so commonplace. Um, I've read a lot of dystopian books and I've never read one that taps into Twenty, what what I would call twenty first century topics, and by that I'm talking about particularly mental health and climate change, and those are two things that I do explore in my dystopian novel, and I think that just added a bit of an interesting element on it for me. I wanted to kind of quote unquote bring the dystopian genre into the twenty first century, and that's what I tried to do. And by combining the dystopian genre with mental health and ideas surrounding that, I thought it created quite a nice blend, and I enjoyed writing about it
1: um in your blurb you you talked to me about uh, you enjoy running and I I do a lot of cycling uh, a lot of exercise and so to have a good um you know good atmosphere a good climate atmosphere is important and I think you know looking at your book as well you know you said climate um change is important to you as well and I think that's why you brought it into your book wasn't it
0: yeah absolutely absolutely I think it's a very important issue that I feel very passionately about um, but also like you say I think also in my personal life I take a lot of comfort in the natural world um, kind of like you say I'm, I'm sure you know exactly what I mean when if you've been writing for a few hours at a time sometimes you can just feel very cooped up and you want to escape and get outside and that's why I do kind of uh, turn to the natural
1: world for in those kind of situations I'm sure you do the exact same with your cycling. I did. Um, uh, yesterday I uh, got on the bike and I put my laptop on the back and I cycled down to the nearest canal, Simon. And uh, I sat on the tables there and there I had, um, you know, I had a flask of coffee and a few bits and bobs. I had my laptop. And it's amazing, you know, Simon, the number of people that stopped by and asked me, what are you doing? <laughs> and you know, I, and I showed a couple of them, you know, my books on the, on the website. And they looked like, oh. So, yeah, I... You know that you know climate change and those sorts of things you know is you know really important for me as well yeah and and regular exercise um, and you know so when I go into the school, you know I, I do say that to the kids, you know it's very very important to get a balance in life, and I think when you write a book Simon, i don 't know if you agree with this or not with me here or not is Um, You have to create a character that you know and draw on your own experience. So how do you create your character, your main character? Well, I absolutely agree with you, actually, and
0: therefore... With Hades forest it's not completely irrelevant that it is set in a forest because behind the house where I live there actually is a forest and therefore when I was writing the scenes where you're in the environment it was helpful for me to actually leave the house go in the forest and and kind of uh, envision what I was describing if that makes sense so I completely agree with you and um, in terms of the character I think I wanted to write someone who was a bit more accessible for me and um, and and this was an interesting kind of challenge that I had but I really enjoyed and um, With dystopian novels in particular, where there's a challenge or you know, a a big bad government, it's very rare that there's a main character that isn't a great big hero who's strong and brave and bold. And I actually went out of my way to do the opposite of that. And the reason I did that is for what because of what you just said there. The main character had to feel accessible to me, and I'm not a superhero, I don't, I'm not big and brave and bold and you know, fighting enemies and all this stuff, I'm just a regular guy. And therefore, it was important to me to write a main character who was also a regular guy. And that was what I tried to do with Hades Forrest. So he's a bit more mellow. He's not that, you know, he's not extremely political or, you know, motivated in any aspect. He's pretty run of the mill. Um, but I think that, again, added a different element to the book. And it made it easier for me to write about because I'm not a superhero. So it would be difficult for me to write
1: about one. Your main character is Perry Benson. Is there a bit of him in you? Yes, absolutely. Just in that he's regular and
0: um, he's pretty, you know, uninspirational. Uh, and the key part of the book are the events that happen around him almost and the people he meets rather than him himself. And that does create an interesting balance. Uh, but I think that that's more realistic of who we all are and, and certainly who I am. Uh, you know, we don't do huge drastic life-changing things every day we do just kind of go about our daily lives and i think that's what perry is and therefore i kind of put myself in that if that makes sense he doesn't visually look like me his appearance is nothing like mine but he does act like me
1: a lot more i think um simon i use as i've said to lots of kids so when i go into the schools or uh when i do talks or when I'm doing my podcast here when i create my characters i use 14 points um, like the age of the character, the sex of the character, has the character got brown hair? Has the character got brown eyes? Have they got? Uh, do they wear glasses? Uh, where do they come from? And I, I use those fourteen points so that I don't come um, a cropper when later on down the page, uh, you know, one I've got the character with red hair, and then next page has got brown hair, because the the reader's going to pick that up. Um, so, do you use anything similar to, you know, for note down for your main character or any character?
0: Funnily enough, I do the exact same thing uh, for the reason that you just said that I don't want to be caught out for me, consistency throughout the novel is really important. I don't want things to be inaccurate or inconsistent. And so I do the exact same thing for all of the particularly the main characters in my novel. There's six main characters for every single one of them. I did about 20 points, maybe of the really, you know, their backstory. So there was consistency in what they were talking about and you know depth to their character but i also did it with a lot of the side characters too because i think that they are just as important in forming that wider world um but i i wonder whether you ever tried anything different because i, I never tried anything different this is my first book and that was how i did it with the kind of 14 points idea um, but I, did you ever experiment with with a
1: different method of creating characters um Slightly, but I've, I've just learnt to use that formula and it works for me. So when I do my books, uh, when you look at my um, uh, stories, you, I find, you know, so I've got one main character. And then because they are kids stories, I don't wish to overcomplicate the characters. So I have one main character and then I will have two to three, what I call sub characters. They are there to support the main character. Now, if you look at Harry Potter, well, the main character was Harry, wasn't it? And who were the sub characters? Well, Ron and Hermione. Exactly, two. Two sub characters. And um, so I use a triangle of characters because yes, a lot of my books are kids' books. So I have one main character. I then have two to three sub-characters who support the main character. But then I have what is called the floating characters. These are characters that go in and out of the storyline just to move the story along. Um, and I notice that you've got six main characters in your book, as well as when you refer to them as side characters, I refer to them as floating characters. It's all yeah,
0: that's, that's a really interesting term, actually. I, I think I kind of do a similar structure where there's a protagonist and then, you know, a couple of people very close to him, in my instance. I just think I have a higher quantity of floating characters, uh, which is interesting. Maybe it's just because it's, you know, a different genre aimed at a slightly older age group. Um, But, yeah, exactly the same, like you say. um, You know, Perry ends up in a forest of five tribes, each with six people. So there's 30 people in this forest. And ultimately, he encounters, you know, 75% of those 30 people at one point or another uh, so yeah, there was a lot more perhaps character plotting for me to do.
1: Um, do you love your character? Which one? The main one. No. <laughs>
0: I don't feel particularly strongly about him either way. Um, he's, o- he's okay. Uh, he doesn't inspire me. I don't feel moved by him. I feel moved by the people around him. And... If you were to ask me who is the favorite character in my book, it's absolutely not the main character. No, Um, it's the main character's kind of friends uh, that he leans on to kind of, you know, keep his emotions and spirits up. Um, So, no, I'd say there's about three or four characters that I prefer before Perry. Um, I think that that was important, actually. And I did that deliberately because it helps me to remain objective about what this person would really do I didn't want to be emotionally swayed in how I wanted the main character's fate to end up I wanted it to still be rational and logical and you know follow a chain of events and I think perhaps
1: not emotionally attaching myself to him helped me to do that see for me when I write the story as my characters they take over they're alive to me they are buried in my head permanently and I think a lot of authors um uh, you know have their characters you know Oh, all across you know, their mind, it's every day. Their characters are there, you know, living, you know, with them all the time. You know, you're walking down the street, you're, you're thinking about your character, you know, your character is talking to you.
0: But uh, that, must be, that must make it difficult for you to kind of separate your writing
1: time from your leisure time. Yes, um, but you get used to it. Yeah. With the characters I'm writing now, Charlie Sullivan, and, you know, the three other kids, you know, Dahlia, uh, Rupert, and Ben they are constantly in my head at the moment because I'm writing the story and re-editing it. So they are there all the time. (laughs) They are real to me. Um, They are, you know, they're just not figures on a page. They are real characters. Yeah. Um, I want to move on if you don't mind, Simon, I would like to take you on to how you go about your, your plot, your planning. Um, I say a lot to, you know, to, to the kids and to people listen to my podcast. I, um, have, I split the plot into two. One is I set the scene, and uh, on, under that, you know, it's like what time of the year the book is written. What, you know, so what's the scenery going to be like? Where in the world is the character? Uh, what time, you know, are we talking about? What, you know, time period are we talking about? And then the other side is the actual story itself. How do you go about the plot?
0: In a similar way, I think it's, it's challenging because when you're creating a dystopian society, it's set in the future. And therefore the parameters of the society, the rules and laws that exist aren't the same as what we are right now. So the first thing you have to do is establish the laws. What can you do? What can't you do? And why is that the case? Because then you've got to write a story that fits within it. And again, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the 14 points of characters. You can't have inherent contradictions throughout your story. So if there is a law in place in this society, it has to be abided to. You can't throw it out the window because it would be more convenient for the plot. So certainly I start with the rules of the land um, because I think that that underpins all of the action that happens. Um, That's definitely my first step. Was that fun for you, doing that? It was challenging because you want to be creative, but you don't want to be unrealistic if the reader is going to enjoy your novel, they need to truly believe that what you're writing about could feasibly happen in the next few hundred years. And therefore you can't go crazy about it. You have to kind of tread that line between creativity, but not being silly and not doing stuff where you go, that would never happen. That technology would never exist. You know, people would never act in that way. And so it can be challenging. And I would say I actually spent the most amount of time planning my book on that aspect for sure.
1: So, Talking about uh, planning, Simon, are you now? I, I, I've always, you know, on the writing course that I've attended, um, there are a couple of schools of thought here. There are some authors who will, uh, before they even put pen to paper about the story, they have worked the plot out. They know exactly what's going into each chapter. They have got it planned and down to the minutest detail. That's one scale. On the other end of the scale, you've got people who, like me, we know where the start is, we know where the end is, but we just let the story flow in between those two points. Um, Where do you sit on that scale? Are you the detail planner or do you just like, well, I'll open the laptop saying, let's see where this is going?
0: I am the detailed planner. I think this is the first point so far where we've been talking about our process where you and I have actually differed. Um, but on this, I do actually differ from you. I am the detailed planner. Before I wrote the first word of my first chapter, I already had all 20 chapters of the book. That's how many chapters are in the book, 20. I had all 20 planned out step by step. What's going to happen? Who's going to do it? Why is it happening? Where is it going to go? Because also with Hades Forest, it's going to be a trilogy. It's going to, this book is the first of three. And therefore, I wasn't just plotting the story of this first book. I was plotting the story of the entire trilogy. So actually, before I started writing the first book of Hades Forest, I already knew what was going to be happening in book two and three. And therefore, book one had to lend itself to that. So that requires a lot of planning. I personally wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it myself, um, just on the spot. You know, Uh, I think it's much more important. For me, if I know where I'm going, perhaps that's, you know, a bit of a, a control freak thing or something, I don't know. But yeah. I, I wonder kind of, that must be such a invigorating experience for you, kind of waking up and never
1: know where it's going to take you. I bet that's a lot of fun to write. That's why I do it, because it's more interesting, you know, to me. I couldn't do the, the detailed planning because, well, I know about that. I'm bored with that. I... Um, I like some thinking, oh, where's it going today? I know roughly where it's going, but, um, it's like yesterday when I was sitting down doing the, my writing, I didn't know I was going to take it down this little bit of an alleyway here. And I enjoyed doing that. And I think if you, if you don't enjoy your writing, um, or love your characters or enjoy what's, you know, why you're doing the book, that comes across to the reader and that has a huge effect on the reader. Would you agree? Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. And, and honestly,
0: I don't think either of our methods is better than the other. It's just whatever is beneficial for you. For me, I've always viewed writing a book like a jigsaw puzzle. That's the analogy I always use, especially with Hades Forest, because it's long. It is 21 chapters. It is, you know, 70,000 words. So therefore, it is like a jigsaw puzzle in my mind. And therefore, I just don't feel comfortable starting without doing that. But I have so much kind of, you know, I'm so in awe of people like you who can make it up in the spot, because
1: I think that requires so much creativity. But um, maybe I just don't have it. But the only problem with that is that you, you tend to get you run away with the words because I'm at the moment about 125,000 words, and I've got to get down to <laughs> 80,000. Oh, no. Wow. Um, I always say you know, to any budding uh, author, uh, any kids that I talk to in the schools, is the most important thing is to get a good start and have a very strong finish. What's your view on that?
0: I absolutely agree again um you know it it was interesting I I when I was writing this book I would say of all of the chapters one of the ones that I put the most amount of effort into was the first chapter now ironically the first chapter is about a quarter of the length of all my other chapters I deliberately did it so chapter one's about a thousand words all the others are about four thousand give or take um and it therefore was interesting to me that I spent so much time on the first chapter, but I thought it was important. It was only a thousand words, but the view I took was this. There's no point writing an incredible story if people don't stay that long to read it. You know, my chapter 15 could be the best thing of all time, but unless my chapter one is good, they're never going to get there. So, and, and therefore that was the approach I took. So I put a lot more of my emphasis on chapter one. Um, and I, I went for a hook and this was a learning process for me actually, because I'd never written a book before. And therefore, when I wrote my first version, my first draft, my chapter one was the same length as the others. It didn't have any action. It wasn't a big hook. And that was when I had to sit down and review myself for the reasons that you're saying, you know, you've got to hook the reader in. And that was what I tried to do. So I made it shorter. I made it more action packed. And I think chapter one kind of, you know,
1: Gets things done. I I I been you, Simon, um, when you first showed me your uh, chapter, I thought, mm. and then when I saw it for you know the second time, I I actually sent it back. I said to you, didn't I? Wow, that's different. That's stronger. Yeah. That's been worked upon. Absolutely.
0: And I agree with you when I and and that was why I changed it, because when I read my the first version of my first chapter, I also responded a bit like that. I was a bit like, I mean, it's okay, but it doesn't it doesn't arouse anything. It doesn't make you feel passionate in any way. And that was why I changed it for that reason.
1: Um, Yeah, because a reader will only give you chapter one. Chapter two, at the most, and they don't sort of like it, or it's not starting to get you know engaged a little bit with your characters with your plot, it gets put on the shelf, mm-hmm. and then they won't look at another book you know that you write. Um, because I always say to everybody, it's all about getting the reader to turn the pages. That's why you know, at the end of the chapter, you've got to leave a little bit of tease so, that oh, I must read the next chapter. And that's why, you know, I say to all the kids when I go to school, why do you think the the TV companies do this at the end? You know, EastEnders or Emmerdale or that. They leave you in suspense at the end. It's because they want you to watch the next show. Mm -hmm. And that's what you must do as an author at the end of each chapter is leave a teaser. Um, And, you know, a lot of people say to me, well, how do you write a book? Well, it's not just about throwing words on a page, is it? absolutely not <laughs> There are techniques yeah and you've got to put those little pointers in and um, which people don't observe at the time and then when it comes to the end oh yes ah yes yes yeah yeah um so i always tend to use because i we are we, we are writing for different um people here simon um I use a formula, a 10% introduction, 80% uh, the storyline, and 10% the ending. Because I say to the kids, "Is your story's got to be uh, thriller, thriller, as opposed to filler, filler. <laughs> Very good. Uh, it's got to be packed full of action. But you need to have, because a lot of them ask me, how do I go about doing the 500 word competition? So I say some 10, 80, 10. Do you use, use that, or is it, have you got a slightly different version?
0: I've never thought about it like that, but I suppose I do, now you mention it. Um, for me, I completely agree that a book needs to be action-packed, and mine is. It's a plot-driven book. It's not a character-driven book that Hades Forest is. But with that being said, I think it's also important to get light and shade, and that's something that I spent a lot of time focusing on, you know? Ultimately, character development... It, character development is just as important as plot because if the reader cares more about the characters, then therefore the plot has greater significance because they care more about what happens to those characters. And that was the approach I took. So I would kind of alternate it. It wasn't a formula per se, but I was trying to get it. So if I had a couple of chapters action based, I'd always throw in one where there's still action, but it's slightly slower, less stakes and more about character development because I think that balance of light and shade was important for me. But yes, I guess now I think about it, it was about 10% introduction, 10% ending, and 80% in the middle.
1: But would you agree with me? It's got to be more thriller thrill as opposed to waffle filler.
0: Absolutely. No one likes to read waffle, um, especially in a children's book. You need to keep their attention.
1: Absolutely. Um, you, you know, In your job, as, you know, in real life, you, you, you're in marketing. Who do you uh, see as your market for your books? Who do you write for?
0: I write for myself and therefore my market is people like me. Um, When people ask me this question, my answer simply is males aged 18 to 25. That's the people I'm going for. Um, now, of course, it isn't exclusive to that group; it can go anywhere. But that's the pe- that's the way I aim it, because ultimately, I write what I would enjoy to read, and therefore, if I would enjoy reading it, it makes sense to me that therefore, other people of my demographic and gender would also like to read it too. Um, so that's the approach I go for. It, it's males aged eighteen to twenty five for *Hades Forest*.
1: Now, you mentioned that this is a trilogy, so I'm taking um, that as there's some books in the pipeline. There are,
0: yeah. I've actually already started writing book two. I'm about a quarter of the way through, believe it or not. Um, Again, I think I enjoyed writing the first book more because I knew it was forming a bigger picture. And yes, there is a second book in the pipeline um, and that will be the second book of three for Hades Forest. So at the moment, you're self-published, aren't you? I am, yes. Uh, That wasn't published. What was that, sorry? Any plans to be published? No, put it simply, I'm afraid not. Um, I really enjoy the kind of control that being self-published gives me. And, you know, I've only experienced it for 40 days. My book's only been out for five weeks-ish. Um, so I'm still new to the game. You know, I've still got a lot to learn and maybe my perspective will change. But so far, my experience with self-publishing has been really positive. Like you say, I work for a marketing company, so I understand the mechanics of how to market a book. And I think that lends itself in my favour. Then also, I like that I have this kind of, you know, creative authority that if I want to change something in my book, I can do so and I don't have to run it past anyone else. Um, I, I don't know whether you wish you had, you know, a bit more
1: uh, autonomy or do you have complete autonomy when you write your books? I'm interested to know. At the moment, I have complete autonomy because I'm self published, but I would love to get a publishing deal. Uh, and to get some more of the stories um, and the books out there because they've got the uh, purchasing power, they've got the power to get it into the the bookshops. And for me, it's about getting my stories out to the public and uh, putting my mark on the public domain. Um, And it's a bit like, you know, when I've looked at your background and I was a little interested here, you said a comment to me, and I'm going to take it just a little sideways, you know, out of the books here, you said, uh, yes, you got your A-level results in history, business studies, and English. And you put in the, you know, your blurb to me saying, "But oh, well, I've decided for the moment to not to go to Harvard or to Yale or to university at the moment. I'm doing, um, you know, chosen to go down to, to work at the moment to do copywriting, copy editing. Are you going to go to university? Would you change that?
0: That is a very good question. I think right now my answer is no, I'm not going to. Um, it's something I always have to fall back on. That's the nice thing about having those results. They don't go away. They don't magically vanish. So if I want to, perhaps later in my life, I will. But my answer is no, I'm not going to go to university. Um, I'm having a lot of fun right now in my life. I'm, I'm enjoying being in the working world. And then that's not something I want to go back from. I'm enjoying having a bit of money, which is also something I definitely don't want to go back from. But I'm still experiencing that kind of university life because I have friends at university. And I'm going to visit them. I think I'm getting the best of both worlds at the moment. And I do actually really enjoy my job. And therefore,
1: I don't think I could leave it and go to university. There you go, everybody. Yes. At the moment, he's not going to go to university. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, Simon. Where can people, if they you know they've listened to the podcast, where they can, where can they go and get your book? Where they can get it from? Where can they buy it? My book is available
0: exclusively on Amazon. You can't buy it anywhere other than there, I'm afraid. Um, but if you go on Amazon, it is called Hades Forest. Hades for the god of the underworld and the forest for the place with trees. Um, and you can get it on Amazon both in the UK and the US and in any country that Amazon ships to, basically. And you can also get it on your Kindle on there. You can also get it on audiobook on there. So if you like this thing to Audible. Hades Forest is available on there as well.
1: That's fantastic. Simon, it's been fantastic talking to you. I've learned so much about you uh not only just on the podcast here, but also on our previous uh, chit chats and uh, and the blurb that you've sent me about yourself and your book. And it's been, you know, fascinating to learn about you and to see, you know, such a young person of your age um look you know going about something that they passionately believe in and i just um i give you all credit thank you so much i really appreciate that and
0: it's been a real pleasure to be on and you know thank you for having me and for for letting me come on i've really
1: enjoyed it so they are kids they are guys this has been simon elson um his book is hates forest and you can go and get it on amazon it's in the dystopia genre if that's what you like um next podcast well that's going to be a bit of a mystery podcast so we'll have to go and wait and see uh, what that's going to be all about but for the time being i would just like to say to simon thank you for coming on the show and good luck with your book thank you very much
0: thanks for listening to the smart kids want to follow more of their adventures check out the smart kids by J.T. Crowley on amazon.com now